Oh, are we gonna put like a spoilers disclaimer for Promise Neverland? I, I thought we were gonna talk about the whole series. Yep. Yeah. So we'll uh, at some point we'll say spoiler. Maybe at the beginning, <laughs> or maybe you can say this is the spoiler cast for Promise Neverland. I don't know. Okay, welcome back, y'all, to another episode of Manga in Your Ears. First up, so the last time we talked about Act Age, and we were very excited about it, and we enjoyed it a lot. However, since then, the writer, it's a um, writer-artist team, and just the writer, has been arrested on accusations, backed up with video footage, of him groping two underage girls. So apparently that one was done by a fucking pedophile, and it is being wiped from the face of the earth, and, uh... We're all pretty bummed about this, honestly, to put it mildly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Especially for the artist who was incredibly talented. And um, I hope... And she's that, quite young, too. That's her yeah, first work, I think. Yeah, she was something like 22, I read. Hopefully she bounces yeah. back and is not blackballed for being associated with someone who she had no business uh, or she had no interaction with in, in those regards. Yep, so folks want to know more, there's definitely some articles up on ANN translating things put out by the publishers, etc., it's just really awkward timing on our part for this. We obviously had no idea about this until yeah. it was the police report. I retweeted quite a few things from the Manga Gears career feed as well. I will be updating the posts with uh, some other disclaimers since I forgot to do that until now. And hopefully in the editing process I'll remember to do that because I'm telling myself to right now. <laughs> So if he doesn't remember now, he will when he's editing the podcast. Yep. <laughs> Moving on from that, and this episode is going to be a bit of a spoiler cast. We are doing uh, The Promised Neverland up first. We're talking about the whole series since it ended earlier this year. And we're also going to be talking about the current series, Love Me for Who I Am, in the second half. So, April, tell us about your feelings about The Promised Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> so our first series this week is The Promised Neverland. It is a, a shonen series put out by Viz. It is written by Kayu Shirai and illustrated by Posuka Demis. Um, the Promised Neverland is pretty popular, but the basic premise is that it's set in the year 2045 and it focuses on an 11-year-old girl named Emma who lives in a large orphanage with several other children. Um, the orphanage is called Grace House and there's a Grace sort of a house, mu- I think? Grace yeah, Grace House actually. And um, there's like a mother figure there that takes care of all the children. They're all very happy, love each other, it's together, etc. And then of course there'd be an orphanage. Um, some of the kids eventually sort of age out or get adopted out, but they're never seen or heard from again. Um, even kids that have been gone a while, there's never any letters that come back, there's never any communication, etc. Um so Emma and her friends sort of find out what really happens to to the children after they leave after they leave the orphanage, and that's sort of how the series kicks off. Um, there's also an anime out for this one. I can't remember what year it came out, but there is at least one season, and there's going to be a second one as well. Um, so, what did you all think? Uh, we also uh, talked about the series in episode 14, but that was quite a while ago. Um, but uh, 
I I really liked this series. Um, I think it, uh, at least compared to the ideas and the um, the scope on which it was trying to do things uh, in the first half ish, uh, was much more interesting than what they were trying to do in the second half, which kind of went more into shonen-y, tropey kind of things that didn't interest me as much, but were still very uh, compelling while reading it, if that makes sense. Uh, I came to this one, I think, before I saw the anime. And you're right, April. Uh, there's a second season coming. I think it was supposed to be this fall, but COVID. So it got pushed back to next year. Um, yeah, I... I bleh. <laughs> I enjoyed the series a lot from the get-go, partially because Emma is a little unusual for a jump protagonist. She's a girl, and she's paired with two other characters, Ray and Norman, who are clearly both also brilliant. And in some ways, she's more physically brilliant than both of them, which is just a bit of an interesting shake-up. And Emma is also um, defined a lot by both her determination and her kindness, and her determination to be kind, to not let this terrible world just eat her up from the inside out. Uh, yeah, I'll agree that like the first arc of the story, where they are trying to escape from the Gracefield house, is probably the most concise and focused. Once they're beyond the walls and having to make their way into this world where, that it turns out they know very little about, it gets... Uh, a little less focused. But let's be real. I started out reading stuff like Naruto and Bleach, which took a heck of a nosedive and got less focused. So this was still within, like, acceptable reading enjoyment for me. So even by the end, I was worried that it was going to drag out for, like, an additional arc. But it didn't. We were fine. Uh, a couple surprises even till the end. But yeah, I enjoyed it, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing next season of the anime. Um... Not sure how far they'll cover, just since I don't remember as many good, like, natural ending points as they had here. I've got an idea, but, yeah, that's about as much as I can say without spoilers. <laughs> yeah, much like Demon Slayer, it felt like this one really knew what it wanted to do. Uh, perhaps, unlike Demon Slayer, it didn't really know how it wanted to get there, so it felt a little middling in those middle periods, whereas Demon Slayer just had... Maybe felt too fast because there's a lot of montages where it seems like they're learning things uh, at the snap of your fingers. But um, still, while reading *The Promise of Neverlands*, it was uh, never not interesting. It was always interesting, uh, which is the correct way to say that. <laughs> yes, I had previously read maybe three volumes, the first three as they'd come out, and then hadn't read any since then. So it had been a while, um, and this series is available. Um, on the Jump app, if you have a subscription to that. So I finished it there. I think the first arc and maybe like the second-ish were the strongest. I don't ever feel like it totally took a nosedive. But that first arc when they're when they're uh, escaping the or orphanage is probably one of the stronger ones. And I kind of – I guess I initially thought when I started it that that's what the whole series was going to be about, which I guess – in hindsight, you couldn't have stretched that out for 20 volumes. Um, but I thought they would be in the orphanage for a much longer time, and that was that was looted by, like, volume five. If that, they were already out of the orphanage and into the world. Um, and then from there, it just went directions I didn't. <laughs> so I don't know if we want to go ahead and jump into spoilers now or talk about the middle or the end, but 
I mean, can you really talk about the middle and the end about spoilers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much everything beyond them escaping Grace Field House is a big old spoiler for most people, I would say. I mean, I don't think the anime went too far beyond that. I don't remember. Nah, they, like, just got out, basically, okay. and I think that was about it. And that's also, like, the first big act, quote-unquote, of this mm-hmm. manga. Right, so everything after this is a spoiler for anybody listening and who's waiting on the anime. If you haven't read the manga, yeah, now's the time. But I I know that you, you all said it sort of dove in quality. Where do you think that happened? Like, what arc did you say it started to sort of fray at the edges? Where do you all think that was? I'm trying to figure out where it was. For me, I think it was a lot when Norman got reintroduced again, partially because that went against some of the rules that had been previously established in the series. Like, um, I don't know if there's like a specific rule of storytelling that says you don't kill off the main characters. And so I was thinking that was probably in effect. I figured we'd probably see Norman again. But the manner in which we saw him and that he'd just been transferred to another farm and so he was going through even deeper hardships and all that, that just didn't work quite as well for me. And, I mean, honestly, it would have been easier if he'd been a female character since they'd already established by that point that girls had an opt-out of the system. So yeah, I felt like that one didn't work quite as well, especially since they kept like trying to bring him up to a line of committing like total genocide, which didn't quite match his character. And they knew that the audience knew it, but then they kept trying to bring it back and forward. And it's like, just either do it or don't do it. You're a fictional character. There's a limit to how much I'm going to care about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think maybe they tried to set it up by saying that the girls could opt out and become a mom, which is... Uh, I do want to know where they're getting all the sperm for the babies, though. Like, do they just have, like, infinite sperm banks or something? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Uh, try not to think about what could they possibly be doing <laughs> for these. They're not children. Are they all horribly inbred? Uh, yeah, but uh, I think that that was maybe a setup that maybe the, the boys would also have an option, or maybe not an option, in the same way that the girls have an option, but they would also have an out where they continue living and... Uh, doing something else but in that interim time i feel something happened to norman norman that we never really got privy to and that's really where the disconnect is. uh his genocidal behavior and where we are and we're like why is he doing this i feel like the manga in some ways is also probably trying to subvert expectations since from the beginning they were setting up ray as the one who would be more likely to act on those kind of destructive impulses well you got the impression that norman had them as well but he kept them closer in check so I wonder if that was partially it as well. They were trying to just, mm. you know, subvert it by having them go in different directions and grow up in different ways. I know the hunting lodge arc, um, it worked while I was reading it, but also at the same time I was like, this feels a little weird that they're like also introducing this other way that the humans are used and like some of these kids are okay and some aren't. It was like, it felt like they needed to get Emma more allies and some information to her and couldn't figure out a really elegant way to do it unless they'd also had like a group of kids bust out of one of the farms and they didn't (laughs) want to do that especially since it's partially set up that it seems like Emma and the gang are the first ones in hundreds if not thousands of years to actually pull that off (laughs) yeah I think one of the first things I was disappointed by was the whole so they have all these clues about Minerva and the phone and the more code and all that and I just um, I, I felt like its connection with Norman was disappointing to me. Like, I just felt like I was really on the edge of my seat. Like, who is that? Are they going to find that person? Or are they going to find out who that is? And then it just sort of felt like it 
fizzled a little bit for me. I guess I like didn't care about Norman very much. So when he came <laughs> <laughs> when he came back, it just sort of was like, oh, okay, that's who it was. I don't know. I just didn't really have a particular. Well, remember the first Minerva was dead. Right, and Norman right. was like, I remember this name. I'm just going to use it. Right, right. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I guess that kind of thing. And then the whole, this is more towards the end with the whole transcending time and space. I was just a little confused by that. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. And I was really, I was, I was, I was like, okay, I'll just kind of glaze over that part. And I think I get the gist, but I don't, I don't really like happen. Um, so maybe that's more confusion on my part. Um, and then, I don't know how I felt about the ending itself. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't quite what I expected it to be. I thought it was kind of funny that in like the month or two leading up to the final chapters, uh, the writer and the author had taken a couple of breaks they'd said for research. And I was joking on Twitter, like, come on, guys, they're, they're taking a break. They need a nap. Like, it's fine to see they need a vacation. Like, what research can you be doing in this alternate world of demons? And then the kids show up and, like... 2045 our world and it was like oh no they were doing research <laughs> i was genuinely surprised it was actually supposed to be like some sort of like mirror universe to our own since we'd figured out pretty quickly that obviously it wasn't quite our world and everything but i wasn't expecting them to actually try and tie it back at the end i don't think it worked entirely well since there was just no reason sort of but again maybe that was a hole they dug and then they realized it went directions they didn't expect yeah i think the not working at least in in terms of them coming to new york i guess uh didn't really work i know april you can tell us about the shapes <laughs> <laughs> i'm just laughing because i had no idea what you were talking about if it might be that <laughs> i don't I, I don't know why i was so like shocked by that i just i just got to that part where they're like this that particular chapter they're like well you know the real reason why they eat humans right and, you know they finally have to tell her and they're like because the demons like don't have shapes that's how they retain their shape is to eat the humans and i'm literally sitting there and i'm like they don't have fucking shapes are you kidding me and like i had to put it down i was like of course it's so obvious but i just i, I put it down for like a good two hours i'm like i can't look they don't have shapes it just it just really shocked me i don't know why of all the things in the series that's what really shocked Honestly, like, if your species has evolved that sort of, like, major genetic defect, I, I think you just got to accept you're going extinct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, I mean, man. I guess in defense of the demons, they also gen uh, evolved a defect that meant they could keep their shape. But uh, the, uh, the royalty being the fill-in Republicans, I guess, they didn't want to give away that health care to everybody. <laughs> The healthcare is literally blood. <laughs> yeah. like to, to answer your first question, April, I, I think that's kind of where it went off the rails for me. The inclusion of this royalty and the uh, the entire she's got a fun form. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And the expansion of the Ratchery clan. They were. Uh, it felt like the the world was getting too big too fast as compared to just being in Gracefield and they were fighting against a mo mom and the. The demons, but they weren't like really fighting against the demons. There was just this uh, non-seen enemy that you knew was out there, but you didn't really know where. And that really worked in that first part. But then, as it, the world expanded more and more, it just uh, became more confusing, more convoluted. Um, and that is not to say I don't like what they did, because I do. I did end up really liking the series, uh, if maybe not the ending, but um, 
Yeah. After that first arc, it started feeling a lot less horror and more, not even as much thriller, just sort of more quest adventure with high chance of dying. Yeah. A lot of so we're, expect- we're expecting a lot of bitching once the second season gets going, honestly. <laughs> we're expecting a lot of people to be in the forums being like, this wasn't as good as the first season. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I like it overall. And I, I think for me, it was towards the end when there was a lot of like politics and the royalty was fighting a lot. And people were, I was like, I don't, there are a lot of people. So you have the royalty to keep track of. You have Emma and her friends to keep track of. You have the Rat Reed clan to keep track of. There were just a lot of different players, and I don't know that they all like significantly impacted the ending. And then it kind of threw me off when she, I guess, made the promise, and then initially she made the promise, and then the whatever that little floating thing was. They were like, well, I need a rule of the promise. They were like, actually, never mind. I don't need it. I'm like, what? Clearly they need something, or there was like no... No, Emma was just lying about that part. Okay, okay, because I, I, I didn't know if he actually, like, initially said, I'm like, oh my god, this, like, throws everything off if they do that. Uh, Either that, or he was counting most of the price to be the, like, thousand years of servitude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you all, like, surprised by the ending, like, what happened to her? Because when, once it happened, like, well, yeah, I could see them doing that, but were you surprised by it, or did you think maybe it would go that way? Yeah, I felt like it could go that way since we agree the series has been in this constant tug of war between wanting a happy ending and saying that it's going to be hard to get a happy ending. And that's just a really hard balance to pull off by the end. Uh, and yeah, I think the ending was emblematic of that. Mm-hmm. Also, I was just thinking that in like the last round of fights where it's like everybody has like different plans to counteract each other's plans all piled up. In- <laughs> and it's like, this is getting a little too confusing. Y'all are 15 fucking year olds. You do not have like advanced military strategic training. <laughs> I could, so we've talked about this series before, I guess. I could have sworn that like Helen had said that they seem very like realistic children. I could be like completely misremembering that. And I've been thinking about that through the whole series. Like, did they act like realistic kids and i don't know like i'm not a past talent had not read the whole series and like (laughs) the multiple levels of gambit with the like plotting and plans just sort of escalated as the series went up Mm -hmm. because yeah i would say then the first arc they did feel kind of like smart kids who are like oh shit we just murdering our friends what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna murder us if they know we found out what yeah but like i said it also lost some out elements of that horror later on which just changed it and there was uh some time skips but it wasn't like a uh a uh text two years later time skip it was just like you wait see I, them. I, I thought they did literally that <laughs> did they okay i i do not remember this at all and like at one point they came came back and then i thought it was like literally like two years later okay we're ready now to try and like create a new promise and get out of here okay I don't remember that at all. Uh, but I do, I do remember, like, when they uh, came to the... What was it? The the person that all of his family was killed because they had escaped prior. Yeah, un- Underground Bunker Dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Underground Bunker Dude. Like, when they went there, it seems like they grew... They aged a significant amount because their appearances changed a significant amount. But I didn't really know how much yeah, time Yeah, I thought that was had. the two years. I thought okay. it was something like that. <laughs> I... I don't Listeners, remember seeing... if you know, please tweet at Corey at Impassionate K on Twitter. 
Yeah. <laughs> Send me the but panel. It, but was one significantly older than them? I didn't think so. Yeah, the boy got shoulders. <laughs> you can't tell he's wearing a cape the whole time, but I bet his shirts are just like not fitting anymore, and it's probably very you annoying. Know, <laughs> I, I just didn't think they all, like I thought that considerably older than them. Once he once they grew up a little, like, I didn't think they were that far apart in age for him to be looking you know fully grown, and you know they still look like kids. I didn't know how far apart. I mean, listen, puberty hits some people like trucks. <laughs> That's and true. For others of us, it hits like you know like some moderately thrown pillows. I mean, all these kids, no, no one has acne anyway, and some of them should have already had acne at Grace House because, like, who among us has had ac- hasn't gotten acne until, like, 12 years old or later? <laughs> I do think that the mom had a decent ending. I, I at least enjoyed how they wrapped up her storyline. I kind of didn't expect her to come back, but I feel like the, they they mostly did her some justice. Yeah, I did actually like the mom. And, like, the, the, the mom uni- unionized all the other moms. <laughs> <laughs> this is why ruling by fear is never gonna work, guys. You have to trust your partners, right? <laughs> or they're gonna, well, not eat the rich. That is kind of the opposite of what this story is about. It's kind of more like the rich eating the poor. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we do we have any final thoughts? Did we like it? I liked it. I I'm not necessarily super thrilled with the ending, but I enjoyed reading it. I did genuinely enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to the next season of the anime. And, yeah, I don't see myself buying the series. And I usually buy series when I think I'm definitely going to reread them. Uh, but who knows? I do have that Shonen Jump subscription, so maybe I'll reread it there. Hmm. Or maybe someday the libraries will be open again and I can check out books so I don't have to buy them. <laughs> yeah, I agree with uh, both of your takes. I, I really like the series overall, but um, certainly did not live up to the promise of the, those first five volumes. Um, I never reached that promise Neverland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they reached a promise Neverland. They did not achieve a promise Neverland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's a good place for us to end it. Um, and we will be back with our second series of the week. Welcome back, y'all. And now for our currently ongoing series, we're going to talk about a relatively new Seven Seas release, Love Me For Who I Am, which is both drawn and written by Kata Konayama. And this one's had a bit of buzz, both good and bad, in some parts of the manga world. So to get into it, uh, the story is centered mostly, uh, it's got kind of a deuteragonist situation, but one is more clearly the main character. And that character is Mogumo, who is a high school student and rather adamantly non-binary. They dress rather femininely. I believe they were assigned male at birth, um, uh, but definitely do not identify as either a boy or a girl. Um, One of their classmates, um, Tetsu, doesn't understand this at first. He thinks that Mogumo... Mogumo... (laughs) (laughs) I'm having trouble with some names, folks. Tetsu thinks that Mogumo is, in fact, a cross-dressing boy. And Tetsu is like, hey, my older sibling won a girly boy cafe. You should come over and be a server. 
but Mogumo doesn't quite understand this at first either, so they get over, there's some tears, as people try to explain things to each other, and it goes uphill from there, I, sw- I swear. Uh, Tetsu's older sibling is actually a trans woman, although Tetsu still doesn't quite seem to get it yet. He's an ally at first, but he's a little thick about it. Uh, we meet some of the other people who work at the cafe, and they include, like, a gay guy, um, a, as far as I know, like, cis straight guy who just enjoys cross-playing for cosplay. There's another person there who feels rather defensive when they hear Mogumo claim that they're non-binary, and the characters work it through to discover, oh, okay, you're just trans. You were feeling threatened because you didn't think you could say these words, but now you can admit, yes, this is who you want to be. And it's a bit of just, you know, sort of fluffy exploration of there's no one right way to be a person. That That's a weird way of thinking. We should, you know, embrace the fact that we're going to be different and some kinds of different are just going to require more words than others. Like, I know there's an old acquaintance of Mogumo's later on who's having some trouble accepting their non-binary identity, but it's wrapped up in their own identity. So I know there was a little bit of drama about this online because there's been some folks saying, oh, I like this. Other folks saying, no, this didn't feel authentic to me. So uh, all of us here are cis, but none of us here are straight. So what did you guys think about it? Um, I know I you said you didn't have strong thoughts on it. Unlike, I, I think it's more like just the cafe part of it just didn't leave me with a strong impression. Um, and I didn't get attached to any of the characters. That first chapter, like, really gets it going. I thought I, when the first chapter ended, I'm like, this was, it just went really fast. It went from the two characters meeting each other to, like, they're in the cafe. Um, I think the one chapter I really did appreciate was, I think, Helen, you referenced it, where two of the characters sort of, their, I don't, I don't know if I want to say terminology, but it sort of clashes with each other or how they see themselves and how they kind of have to work together to see how they will get along in the cafe and interact with uh, customers. I kind of liked how that was wrapped up, that they sort of just sort of, I can't really understand your side, but we're going to kind of work together and see how we can make this work. I enjoyed that chapter. But overall, for me, it just sort of, I don't know, they haven't, the characters haven't stuck to me yet. So Yeah, I, I liked that chapter as well, since they are pretty young. And through a lot of words in like the LGBTQ lexicon, you kind of have to be like aware the words even exist to even know what words you want to use to describe yourself or others. And that in and of itself is this whole learning process. And so I thought it made sense to see two characters who they know something, but they don't know everything yet. And they are very suddenly trying to put everything together because that's just what the situation calls for. Uh, I have to admit, I do actually like that it's a series of like more than one gay couple in it because I see so many stories where it's like there's two gay characters and that's it. It's so unusual to see a cast that has multiple queer characters in it, but yet that's much more reflective of my real life, I feel like. I know that was something we liked about at, uh, in Our Dreams at Dusk. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should probably also say at this point, I started reading this through Scanlations like a year or two ago because I didn't think it would ever get picked up, which is why I probably know some more details than you guys do about this series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would agree with your takes, that, uh, or April's take, that it didn't really stick with me to begin with, but I feel like uh, the second volume will really pick up with uh, getting deeper into the characters because a lot of the conversations that they're having is not really about 
character well i mean it is about character building but like um they're having a lot of baseline conversations about what it means to be non-binary and what it means to be trans and what it means to just want to cross dress or be gay and uh in, in that way it feels kind of like my brother's husband and uh, this is stuff that i uh i know or um would be able to respect if not if i don't have the language for it yet um but yeah, Helen, I think this is, like you were saying, this is a good way to um, explore all of these things while, uh, nope, my brain stopped. I don't know what I was trying to say there. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I- I've definitely seen a couple people saying online that this was something they were hoping would fill a void in the U.S. manga market, and being that this wasn't, you know, like, deep, serious, depressing queer stuff, but this was something light, fluffy, and approachable seeming to people who are maybe questioning themselves or maybe they are truly cis straight they will not be a part of the queer community but still have questions and that this will maybe prompt them to go oh okay this non-binary thing is something i didn't know about before let's go to the googles now because i'm curious and kata konayama uh hasn't identified publicly as being in the lgbtq rainbow um, so I know there was a little bit of blowback for that, but I, fe- I feel like the story was done okay for that. Although, admittedly, I am cis, happy being a girl, just no questions there. <sighs> but yeah, I-, I feel like it is nice to have something kind of fluffy out there, something just approachable in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I definitely feel like this, The it felt a little more true to life in the sense that they had people in in a community where they felt accepted like they had them at the cafe but they all had like varying identities um that felt more true to life to, true to life to me and then when some of the characters sort of had i wouldn't say clashes but when their identities sort of like rubbed up against each other i felt like that was a little life as well so that aspect of it i really enjoyed and i kind of feel like how core it is i feel like this needed like another volume to like really dig into the characters and get going i kind of felt like this would probably take another volume and it would get really good but i just felt like the first one like wasn't enough for me to get attached but that's one of the few times where i've had a feeling where this just needed like another volume maybe they just needed to be together um for me to start to care about the characters yeah, I think there was more than a volume available when I started reading it. So that will color my experiences in a way that it didn't for you guys, just having more time to see the characters together and start to see them change already. Like, at least in the scanlations, it seems like Tetsu doesn't fully understand that his older sister is in fact an older sister, not an older brother. Mm-hmm. It seems like in some ways at the very beginning, he doesn't quite understand this, but he comes to that understanding of oh, you were being really patient with me all this time, but I've actually been kind of rude to you. I'm going to try and do better and just be generally more thoughtful. That even though Tetsu's been helping out at this cafe as well, um, he's not one of the waiters. He's like the cook in the back. He realizes that, oh, even though I thought I was doing good, there's more I can do to just be nice to these people who are my buddies. Right. Yeah, I think near the end of the volume, he was kind of realizing those kind of, those things uh, because of the... Uh, the I don't remember any any characters' names or who they relate to, but the the one that has a boyfriend, how he uh, just kind of has to recoil from his boyfriend when he's at school and stuff, just because he knows they will not be accepted. And and uh, Tetsu has those same 
some of the same experiences where he's walking down the road with his brother when he was younger, and or his sibling when he was younger, um, and people are looking at at uh, at her and saying, oh, "Look at look at that person. That's a boy. Why are they dressed like a girl?" And um, he's used to those stares, but I don't think he really fully recognized that his brother or that his sibling was trans. Yeah, with only one volume out, it sounds like there's a real limit to how much we can talk about this. So. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should have waited a little longer, but we, we just wanted to talk about it, guys. So uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? It sounds like both you guys are at least interested in picking up a second volume. To see when the second one was coming out. Cause it was definitely like already listed online, so I don't think it's too far away. Let's see, volume one came out in June. I think the next so, one's due in October, maybe? Yeah, it's due in October. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I don't. they might have another pushback since... A lot of titles recently, because of COVID, are getting like an early digital release followed by a print release mm. a little later. But we're not picky around here about print or digital. <laughs> yep. I definitely think it's an interesting series and something that wouldn't have been picked up ten years ago. So I I would pick up the second volume where it goes. Also, like the second volume has somebody crying on the front, so maybe it's like super dramatic. So I would I would probably pick up the second one just to see what that's about. But And they have the third one listed as well, but that's pushed out until next year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next volumes. Maybe we can revisit this one when uh, three or more volumes are out, just to see what our new thoughts are. Well, it sounds like that's going to be where we end it for this time. Uh, Corey, can you close this out? Sure. Uh, where can we find everybody online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mangiorin. I am still alive, or I wouldn't be here on the podcast. So <laughs> you could just be a very sophisticated ghost in the machine. I don't think technology has gotten quite that far, but uh, Never yeah, know. yeah, you don't, you really don't. <laughs> but yeah, you can find me there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at London Dreamer. You can also find me doing manga and light novel reviews over at the OASG. Uh, been doing a lot of them lately. And Justin, I keep choking that whenever I end up doing a double review with him or Crystalina, that we always end up giving it the same scores, even though nobody looks at each other's reviews before we write them. So it's getting kind of funny. <laughs> All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Passionate K. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Mongering Years. And you can find all of our episodes over at TaikuPodcast.com. That is T A I I K U, where there is now a thing that says Mongering Years is also here. Do not be confused. And if you want us anywhere else besides iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, um, tweet at me, uh, tweet at the podcast, tweet at whoever comments on the podcast. I don't know. I'll see it if you post it somewhere where I'm tagged. Um, and I'll give us wherever you want us to be, hopefully. Corey, can you get us not in a pandemic? Uh, I cannot. Only, <laughs> only Kamala Harris has that power now. <laughs> Until next time, folks. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>